Well, if you've been hanging out with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been um, in a study of the book of Ezra. And um, I was telling somebody this week that I've been really surprised. You know, when you when you go to a book like Ezra, which is um, usually one of those books that we kind of skip over when we're reading through the Bible. You know, it, it's just it, we don't really understand the, the context, the background of that. Um, but I've just been so, so surprised how relevant, um, even though I shouldn't be, uh, I should know that God's word is relevant and it's true. Um, man, just, just how relevant some of the things that they're dealing with, um, in the book of Ezra, in the context of the Israelites, um, as, as we've been talking about, they're starting to make their journey back from exile. Um, we talked about last week, um, extensively what it looked like for them to be in exile, how they had been exiled for 70 years in Babylon. And so now they are getting back into the land. Um, they are starting the journey back into Jerusalem. And, um, and so it's, it's just been really, really good so far. Um, and I'm really excited about where we're going to be at. So today we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3. And um, the series, we're calling it uh, Foundations, Foundations, because um, we realize that in our lives, we set up foundations. Um, Jesus tells the parable that there are two guys who build a house, right? One builds on a shaky foundation, the other builds on the solid foundation. And then when the storms of life comes, the one that had been built on the solid foundation, it stands. And the one that was built on the shaky foundation uh, that it's destroyed and there's a lot of, there's great loss. And so as we've been kind of journeying through that idea of foundations, um, we've said that our series, um, that, our, that our theme for the series is that we are going to rebuild our lives on the bedrock foundation of Jesus. Because we believe, uh, we believe that God's word teaches that Jesus is the most solid foundation that we can build our lives upon. And so um, as we look through, and that's, and that's what's really cool is we look through even a book um, before the name Jesus was mentioned, um, it still whispers about this foundation of a promise, a coming Messiah, who we could build our lives on that foundation. Um, and so this morning, as we get to chapter 3, we start to really get into the meat of what happens. Um, the last few weeks, we've really just been talking background and what it means for them to actually get to Jerusalem. And so today in chapter 3, they actually start to get to work. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really, really excited. I feel like the pace of the story starts to pick up and, and things start happening um, really, really quickly in the story at this point. And, and so um, we're going to talk about what does it mean to, to get to work. And for any of you that has ever done maybe a building project or maybe there was uh, another project that you had that you wanted to do, um, you realize that all, that always starts with the first step, right? There's always that first step in the process. So if you're trying to build something, if you're trying to make something, if you have a project that you're trying to, to do, um, there's always a first step that's involved. Um, and most of the time, if you're doing a building project, something like that, that first step involves getting your hands dirty, right? Um, like any of you guys have ever done any like remodeling stuff at your house, you realize that that doesn't happen. And then at the end of the project, your hands are still clean, right? Your hands get dirty um, in the process of doing that. Um, it, you know, I was thinking back this week, um, about the mess sometimes that's involved. And I guess it's been maybe a little over a year ago, um, at the house we were, we were living at, we needed to add a, a bedroom down to the basement of our house. And we wanted to, um, put in like a little half bath down, <laughs> half bath down there. 
And so in order to, to put the half bath in the basement where the foundation had already been laid, um, you basically got to tear up that, that old foundation um, in order to, to lay the new pipes, and then you got to cover that back up with concrete. And, um, and I remember uh, I had asked uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, Sam, to, to come over and help me with this project. And so we had this idea that we were going to get our circular saws out, we we're going to get concrete blades, and we were just going to cut through this, and we were just going to, it was just going to be this thing. We were just going to pop it out, and it was going to be great. And, uh, well, it didn't happen that way, but one thing that did happen was we made a stinking mess, man. Like, we had dust. We were cleaning dust out of cabinets and things in our house for, like, six months after we finished with this project. Um, and it was messed. Sam and I walked out, and we were both, like, just covered in paste of concrete. And then I ended up the next day having to go rent a jackhammer to actually get it out. Um, but... But, you know, just imagine for a second, you know, if I was just like, you know what, I don't want to deal with all the mess that's involved in, in getting all the stuff out of here. So I'm just going to lay the pipes on the floor and just dump some concrete on top of it. Like, how well would that work for my, my set, for that, for that toilet? Probably not too well, right? And so a lot of times the first steps involve getting our hands dirty. Um, it involves us getting to work. And that's what we're going to really see in our story of, um, of Ezra and, and the people of God here, as they enter back into Jerusalem, and as they get working. Now, you guys remember, what was their, what was their big mission? What were they trying to do uh, when they got back to Jerusalem? Rebuild the temple, right? So if you guys remember, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place that man could meet with God, right? And it was a, it was a very small picture of the Garden of Eden, right? Where in, in the Garden... In, before sin came in, you had man and God, and they were able to commune together. It said that God would, would walk with man, and there was this place. So the temple becomes this place then for uh, the people who were following God then, that they can still, in some form and fashion, God was there, and the presence of God would come to the temple, and they could still be there. And so as that got destroyed, they're coming back in to rebuild this place where God and man could somehow uh, communicate and, 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 and be together again. And so that's the, the mission that they're on. And so they get started. And I think what is really uh, kind of incredible is that it doesn't turn out the way that you would think. Now, now you and I would probably think, you know, if we're the first, if we're going to rebuild a temple, uh, and you get back to Jerusalem, what's the first thing you start doing? What do you think? You start what? Get your hands dirty. Thank you, Tom. You'll get extra credit. You can have an extra bagel back there. Um, by the way, that's a good time to say, feel free to get any more bagels or coffee that you want at any point that are back there. Um, but you would think, yeah, we would get to work, right? We would start like... Organize like, your resources. Organize. Of course, the teacher mindset there. You're going to organize. <laughs> train appreciates that. There would be a list involved for some of us, right? But you would get started. You would start laying the foundation of the temple. You'd start bringing in the supplies that you need, and you would get started. And we're going to be really, really surprised at what... Um, what, where Israel starts in this process. So what I want us to do, um, right before we're going to read uh, Ezra chapter 3 here in just a second, but I want you to get uh, turn around to a group, maybe three, four people around you, and I want you to answer this question real quickly, like 30 seconds. What is the most unexpected thing that you've ever experienced? Right? What is the most unexpected thing that's ever happened in your life? Right? 30 seconds. T turn around with somebody beside you, okay? I think really unexpected uh, thing that Israel does here that um, is going to really be our first step if we want to if we want to start rebuilding our foundations in our lives, right? If we if we've identified um, like we've talked about over the last few weeks that we have these things that we've 
put as foundation in our life. And we start to say that, you know what, these things are not Jesus. Um, these are not solid things, and they're not going to withstand the, the, the test of time. What's the first step, right? What's the first step we need to do? First step is we need to reestablish worship, and that's what we're going to see um, with Israel and what they do in, in Ezra chapter uh, 3. So we're going to read together um, chapter 3, and I'm gonna, um, we're going to first be looking at verses 1 through 7 as we look at this idea of reestablishing worship and what they do. All right. So chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in their towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Let's take note of that real quickly. Um, in, in this part process of rebuilding their worship, they're doing this together as community. This is Again, this is just another picture of how important community is in God's economy to accomplish the things that he wants people to accomplish, right? Verse 2 says, Then arose Jeshua, uh, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priest, and with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his kingsmen, and they built an altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. Just take a note of that real quickly. This is not one of our main points, but it's, it's important to note this in the text, that even though there was this great fear of these people in the land, they still didn't let that stop them reestablishing their worship. In fact, they, I think they identified the need to go to God because of the fear that they had. Verse 3 goes on to say, And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after the regular burnt offerings... The offerings of the new moon and all uh, and at all the appointed feast of the Lord, the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord, for the first day from the first day to the seventh month they begin to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and to the carpenters, um, and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and to the tyrants and to bring cedars from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had been given from Cyrus, king of Persia. Let's, uh, let's just pray and ask that God would, would help us to understand this text. Um, and then we're going to talk about what, what is happening here. Father, thank you uh, again just that we could be here this morning. Um, God, I just ask that over, over the time that we're in studying your word this morning, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have to say to us, God. That we could, um, God, that we could just come and learn from your word, um, God. And as we read your word, that it would read our lives and reflect upon us. Uh, God, thank you for all that you're doing and all that you have done and all that you continue to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. And so, <clears throat> the first thing that Israel decides to do is that they need to reestablish worship, right? And, and that kind of leads to, to the, uh, the question of what is worship? Because in our culture, I think worship has attached so many things to the meaning, right? I mean, it means everything from, you know, singing a song to following something to giving our allegiance to something. There's just, there's just such a wide range in the word worship and the idea of worship. Um, and, uh, and, and Tim Keller, um, he's a pastor in New York, and he says this. He says... 
everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. And I think that's really, really wise um, because we all worship something, as we're going to discuss here in a minute. We all, there's something at the core of all of us that we give our worship to, um, that we give our, um, our hearts and our minds and our thoughts to. And so um, I thought it was important this morning that we take a few minutes and that we look at the idea of worship. What is worship? Because if we don't understand what worship is, we're never going to understand how we can establish that in our lives. Um, and I really want us to think about it in three different ways. I want us to think about in the head, the heart, and the hands, right? Those are kind of the three areas a lot of times in our lives that we give our worship and our devotion to things. Um, our head, our heart, and our hands. And Jesus talked about this. Jesus, um, in John chapter 4, uh, verses 23 and 24, um, Jesus just kind of set the, the, the frame. Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman, and she had some questions for Jesus about worship. Uh, the Samaritans and the Jews um, really didn't, um, they didn't spend a lot of time together. Um, the Jews didn't really consider the Samaritans to be part of the promised people of God, and so there was this separation. And they would worship at two different places. Um, and, and so the Jews would, would worship in one place and the, and the Samaritans somewhere else. And so she asked Jesus, so where is the place that you worship, right? And I love how Jesus responds to her. He says, but... The hour is coming and is now here, right? It's arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And I believe that what Jesus gives here is the answer of spirit and truth. Um, I believe the, the, the truth is the head knowledge of God, the Spirit is the heart knowledge, and when you put those two together, um, then you're going to get what what we do with that is, is with our hands, um, and we serve and we love God and the things that we do. And so, um, the first place though is the head, right? The head, the knowledge, the truth of God, and at the foundational level of worship, I believe that we can't truly worship God unless we truly understand who God is. Right? If we don't understand God and validate God as worthy, if we don't come to a place where we, in our minds, recognize who God is in comparison to who we are and the value and the worth of God, if we can't start there, then it's never going to really have an effect on our heart or our hands or anywhere else. Um, and in fact, the prophet Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, the foundational part of worship, we have to acknowledge who God is. Um, and it's all about position. It's about understanding positionally who God is and positionally who I am, right? Um, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like if, you, if you've ever been to a state that is really, really flat, right? That you can see really, really far away off, right? So imagine you're in a car and you're driving somewhere like Arizona, somewhere that's like super, super flat, and you're just driving. And all of a sudden in the distance, you make out this little small figure way, way in the distance, right? And, and as you get closer, you realize, hey, that's a water tower out there. And you're just kind of like where you're at, you know, you might be hundreds of miles away even or, or 50 miles away, whatever. And, and from the position of where you're at, 
you can recognize that it's a water tower, but you're really not that impressed by it, right? You're like, okay, it's this thing, right? And as you get closer and closer and closer, what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Until all of a sudden you get to the point where you're standing right beside it, right? And in that moment, you're looking up at the grandeur of this thing that is just so huge and magnificent and so, so, so much bigger than you are, right? And I think that's the perspective that we get with God. You know, a lot of times we're way, way out here away from God, and it's like, okay, yeah, I kind of acknowledge that God's there, and, and maybe he says some stuff that's kind of cool and to my advantage. But when we get to that place, when we truly come to God and we come to learn who he is and the weight and the big, vast glory of who God is, it changes us, right? It changes who we are. And I think that is the, that's the starting point for worship is to, to have a, a genuine understanding, knowledge of God. Um, and, and I think for all of us, um, or, or for many of us, we've had experiences where for a lot of people, that's where it ends. That's where worship ends is they have a head knowledge. They have an incredible amount of knowledge of the incredible glory and vastness of God, but it stops there. It never makes that transition to their heart. It never feeds into their heart. And so they just kind of get in this place where they acknowledge God, but their lives aren't affected by it. And I think that's why the next part is so important of worship, that it moves to our heart. That it moves to our heart. And really, really here, as Jesus says, the, the spirit of the heart, the place where our, where our emotions and our souls are because that's going to lead us to a sacrificial, sacrificially lived life, right? We're not just going to do things because we feel like we need to or we have a head knowledge. But now our emotions and our thoughts and our, and our soul and all of our being is so in love with this God that we've acknowledged is so valuable and so worthy. That now we, the only thing we can do is just to start to pour out a life of sacrifice. And so everything that we do is now through the lens of what is it that would honor God, and Paul picks up on this thought in Romans, and you guys are probably familiar with this, with this passage, but in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There it is right there, right? That's our spiritual worship, is to somehow present our bodies, everything that we are, as an act of worship to God. And what that looks like is it's that picture, right? You know, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice an animal, right, to cover for their sins. The blood of an animal then would, would for, for, a, for a moment, would cover their sins so that they could be in the presence of God. And so it's like, it's like God is, it, like Paul is saying that we should live our lives so that our body is this continual sacrifice to God. Even though we're still alive, we're continuing to look at our lives and live our lives in such a way that, that Jesus becomes the most important thing to us um, and the decisions that we make, the things that we do with our lives um, are, in, uh, are to give him honor and to give him glory. And so from our, from our head to our hearts, and I think just the natural result of that, right, when, when you acknowledge the value of God, when you're living a life that is sacrificially given to God and you're ready just to give your life away um, wherever God calls you, it's just going to naturally move to a place with your hands, right? And so those things that we do, the way that we spend the hours that God has given us on this earth, then is affected by that. And that's part of our worship. As we, as we walk around and we, <coughs> excuse me, as we continue to, to love God and to acknowledge him and to submit to what he's telling us to do, then I think we start to do things that bring him honor and glory in the world that we live in. In Hebrews chapter 13, 
uh, verses 15 and 16 talks about this. It says, through him, talking about Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Again, that's the head knowledge, right? And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God, right? And so you can can almost look at your own life and say, you know what, if I'm not doing things in, in one sense that is um, honoring God and that's getting his name, um, honor and glory, and I'm not doing things that, I, that, that he tells me to do, that really should ask us to reflect on our lives and say, is my head there? Do I value him? Is my heart there? Am I ready to sacrificially live for him? And so this is the picture of worship. And so you may ask, well, so are you telling me that if I take cookies to my neighbor, like that's worship to God? And I'll say it can be. You know, if you acknowledge that your neighbor uh, is in a hard time right now and you, you realize that, you know what, if I make this person some cookies because of the, the greatness, as I understand how great God is and all that he's done for me, and that moves in my heart and my spirit to, to pour out kindness to other people, and you decide that you're going to make some cookies for your neighbor, the act of bringing those over there, yeah, that absolutely brings worship and honor to God. Um, it's kind of like this picture. Um, to kind of get the full picture of worship, it's kind of like the idea um, of a fire, right? And so as you look at the fuel of the fire, right, that is the worship um, of the understanding of the sovereignty of God. The greatness and the bigness of God is the fuel. So as, as our head acknowledges God and values God, that's the fuel. The fire then is the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us that sparks that fuel. And then the furnace Right through which that is lived out is in our bodies, in our in our in our soul, um, as we live that out. And then the heat that is produced from that fire, those are the good works that we do. Those are the things that we do for God. Um, and so worship is a really really important thing. Um, worship is the foundation for all that we do. And so um, as we look here in um, Ezra chapter three, we're going to see that the very first thing that they did was that they worshipped. They worshipped. And how did they do that, right? What did they do? Well, first and foremost, they built an altar, right? And this idea of an altar was, was the idea of repentance, okay? And so, so you might think that the first thing they would have done would be to, to set the foundation, to start putting, bringing rocks and stuff in there. The very first thing they do is they stop everything and they say, we're going to build an altar, right? And they wanted to return <clears throat> to this place where they could start to offer up repentance again, for God. Remember, they'd been for 70 years, they'd been in Babylon. And so they hadn't been able to worship God in the way that, they, that God had told them that he wanted to be worshipped. And so as they were, as they were in Babylon, um, they had just, they had kind of been immersed with all of these other cultures. And so as soon as they get back, the first thing they do is they build an altar, right? And an altar really is just a place that sacrifices were made um, or were offered up. Right? Altars were places that the divine and the human world could interact, as one commentator says about that. And so the altar then was, was, was this, this uh, it was either made out of rock or stone, and it was just a place where they could literally pour out the blood of an animal, and that was the picture of that covering for them, to cover for their sins or to cover for uh, some sort of iniquity they, they put between them and God. And so, and so they, they, they start by rebuilding this altar. Um, and, and it's kind of cool if you look throughout the Bible, um, there are many places that that is the first thing 
that happens uh, for people is that they will build an altar. When God does something incredible in their life, they'll build an altar. They'll build this place that they can go and remember the greatness of God and that they can offer a sacrifice to him. Um, in Genesis chapter 8, you get the story of Noah, right? And, and we get the story of Noah, and I think we're probably all familiar with him being on the boat, um, and the floods come, and then when the, when the water subsides and, and they all get off the boat, the very first thing that Noah does um, look at verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every, unclean, uh, every clean bird and offered them as a burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said to him, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil uh, from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease, right? And so we get this idea of, of this altar. That's the very first thing that he did. And, and in a very similar fashion here, it's the very first thing that the Israelites do as they come back into the, to the land to reestablish their worship as they create this place that they can have worship on. And so um, with that kind of in mind of of worship. I want us to take uh, 30 seconds, okay, just a little break, and I want you guys to discuss this question really quickly. Um, what's the most worship thing in our world today? If you had to say that there's one thing, if you universally look across uh, maybe just our culture in, in the United States, what would you say that number one thing that uh, people worship is today? Okay. Hopefully you guys had a couple of seconds to discuss that. What did y'all? Uh, what did y'all come up with? Do we have a universal answer for what? What is the most worshipped thing? Like pride or self. Okay. That was ours exactly too. Pride or self? That was money. Money, 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 money. Y'all said comfort or entertainment. Okay. So you didn't follow the rules of picking one thing, but that's all right. Um, you rebel. So, and so, so for, for Israel, for when they come back, they want to, the first thing they want to do is establish this place that they can meet with God again and, and to worship him and to, and to make sacrifices to him again, right? We say, well, what about us today, right? Like, we don't go around sacrificing animals to cover our sins. Um, what is that? 
What does that look like for us in our lives? And I think that's a really good question. Um, and I think part of that is, is that we understand that ultimately, when, even when they sacrificed those animals in the Old Testament, that really wasn't to, co- to pay for their sin. It was just a covering, a temporary covering um, so that they could still be in the presence of God, um, so that they could still interact with God. But ultimately, for them and for us, they look forward to what Jesus was going to do as being that ultimate payment for their sins. Just in the same way that we look back to Jesus today and what, he already, what he's already done for us. Um, and so in our lives, it's important that we understand that um, it looks like repentance for us, right? It looks like repentance for us. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, or actually verse, uh, we'll start with verse 4. It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Right? So the author of Hebrews is just kind of acknowledging what we just said. And then in verse 10 he says, um, and, that, and by that uh, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for, all, once for all. So there's this idea that when Jesus gave that sacrifice for us, when he became that sacrifice for us, that he did that once for all so that we could be made right with God. And then in verse 12 it says that, but when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice, right? Remember in the Old Testament they would have to offer sacrifices on a regular basis. But Christ did it once for all and then he sat down at the right hand of God because that was all that was needed to accomplish um, our repentance and so then uh, or our forgiveness and so if, if if Jesus becomes that sacrifice I think it's important that we look and see what Jesus calls us to do right so today we don't we don't kill animals anymore to cover for our blood but it's really interesting if you go to like the beginning of the Gospels um, like in Mark and in Matthew um, what is the first thing that Jesus tells people to do well in Matthew chapter 4 Verse 17, it's talking about that, right? And it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach to people, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And so today, I think that starting place for worship for us may not be the sacrifice of an animal, but it's a repentance of our heart. And that word repentance, it literally just means to change direction. And so as we are walking in a direction, like we just acknowledge for most of us, is toward pride and selfishness and, and the things that we want and we desire, the beginning place of worship for us is that acknowledgement of Jesus, and it's that idea of turning the other direction, of repenting and changing directions and starting to walk toward Jesus in our lives. And so as they reestablish worship, they return to this idea of repentance, of, of offering something up to God. But they also returned to the Word of God as their authority in their life. Look, uh, look in your Bibles in, in chapter 3, and look at all the places that it talks about um, as it is written is in there. It's all over the place, right? So it's, um, as, we, as you start out, it's in, um, see, where's that, verse 2? It talks about they were building an offering uh, to offer the, these offerings to God as it is written in the law of Moses. And it talks about the festivals that they're going to keep. And it says, as it is written, as it is written. And so there's this idea that part of worshiping God is also a return to to his word. It's a return to setting up the word of God as the foundation in all of our lives. 
And, and not only did they, did they go back and start reading the word, but they started to submit their lives. They started to, to live that out in their lives. And so, so they started to look at their lives and say, you know what, what are the things that will please God? And so we see like in verse 2 where it talks about um, they begin to set up the priestly system again. They started to reestablish this, this leadership structure that they had with Jeshua um, as, as one of the priests. And then they started with Zerubbabel, who was, who was the leader, who was, who was actually in the kingly line. And so they're starting to return back to uh, this way God had set up for his people to live. We also see that they started to return to some of the, the festivals and some of the remembrances that they had, right? It says um, that they began to keep the Feast of Booths, right? And they started to have these regular offerings that they had. And this was really just a, a place in their life that they could go back. And they would have these, these festivals and these feasts would be places that they could remember a great thing that God had done in their life. Um, it was a remembrance. And so... Um, so the, like the festival of booths here that it talks about, this is a time when they would go out and they would live in tents, right? They would go out and live in tents for like a week. And it was a celebration of what God had done for them, um, through the Exodus and through the Passover. And so, um, they're starting to remember these things in our life. And so for us, I think that looks like that we should let the word of God guide everything that we say and everything that we do, right? It's like the idea that we read the word of God and then it reads us back in turn. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says this, he says, And we also thank God consistently for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And I think that's just, that's incredibly important that we understand that if we're going to worship God, um, one of those foundational ways that we do that is through his word and what his word tells us to live. Um, and so as we think about the, the idea of repentance and as we think about the idea of returning to his word, I think those two go really well together, right? When we want to change our direction, we start to change our direction and then we start submitting our lives for what God has called us to do. And that's, that's what it looks like for us um, to have worship in our lives, to reestablish, to prioritize worship in our life, okay? So before we move on to the second step, I want you guys to take 30 more seconds and I want you guys to, to ask this question in your groups. Um, what makes prioritizing worship challenging in your life, right? What are some of the challenges that come if we want to start reestablishing God and worshiping God as a priority? What are some of those challenges that we face in our life? As we, as we continue through uh, Ezra chapter 3, uh, we're going to see, yes, first they, they did start to they reestablish worship by rebuilding this altar, this place that they could go and make sacrifices to God, this place that they could repent of their sins and acknowledge who God is and worship Him in that way. Um, and, and so for us, that looks like um, coming to the place of repentance in our lives and offering up all of ourselves to God. But the second part um, that we see in the last, the last section here of, of uh, chapter 3 is that they took ownership, right? The second step is to take ownership in what that happened. See, they could, they could have thought all day long, like, hey, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to rebuild this temple. And they could have just thought in their minds, like, you know what, we should really rebuild this temple and done nothing about it. Um, but in the second half of, of chapter 3, we see that they actually got to work. They actually started the work. This is the part where they started to get their hands dirty and they started um, the foundational work that needed to be done in order to lay... Uh, the temple and to start building the temple. So I want us to read together uh, verses 8 through 13 
Um, and I think they'll be up on the screen or you can read along in your Bible. Um, but it says this, starting in verse 8, it says, Now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. So realize it, it, this took some time, right? They're now in the second year before they actually get started. In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years uh, old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmel and his sons and Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of the Lord, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with their cymbals, and the praise of the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. Note right there, right? David wasn't with them, right? But they are going back to the word, right? This is another point where they're going back to the word of God for how they should worship God. So, uh, verse 11. And they all sang responsively, praising and, sing, and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. And when, the praise of, uh, when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouts from the sounds of the people weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Right? And so they start to take ownership. They start to, to, to take on this ownership of that they need to get the work done. There's a responsibility. There's a role. And that's really what we're going to look at is, first, they all had a role to play in accomplishing this. Right? I mean, as we look through the text there in that, in that passage, we see that it talks about the Levites, right? The Levites were to supervise the work. And we see that there were the builders. And the builders were to actually lay the foundation. They were to, to, to take it and to start building the foundation. And there were the priests. They came forward with trumpets, right? And so they, there, was a, there was a role they had. And the, the sons of Asaph came with cymbals. Um, and they all came with a great shout, Right? And, and I think it's just important to realize that in God's economy, to accomplish his plan, that we all have a role to play in that, right? And they're not all the same role. I mean, think about that for just a second, you know? It's like, where would you be in this story if, 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 if you were to put yourselves in there? Which group would you put yourselves in? I guarantee you, I would not be one of those that laid the foundation, right? Because if you did, we would get the temple built and it would look like this, right? Um, it wouldn't be very good. I picture myself more of one of these sons of Asaph with the cymbals because I'm not really good at keeping beat, but with the good thing with the cymbals, you can just be really loud and nobody really notices what you're doing. Um, that's where I see myself in this story. Um, but they all had an important role, right? And, it, and, and, and if they didn't do the role that they had, um, the, the role that they had been assigned to do, then this temple is not going to be completed the way it needed to be. The worship of God, the praise of God wouldn't have been what it needed to be. You know, I, I think in our lives, we, we have to ask ourselves a lot of times, what is that role that God has called me to be, right? As a, as a child of God, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a sister, as a brother, as a friend, right? 
we have to identify what is that role in my life? Um, and how does God want me to use that role to bring him worship, to bring him praise, to point people toward him, right? Because for most of us, we, we have multiple roles in our lives. Um, we have multiple things that, that we um, are, are filling roles in our lives. And I think it's important that we understand that um, we all have a role to play, right? We all have a role if we want to accomplish what God has called us to do. But they also had a responsibility, have a responsibility. And so I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, if you guys have seen, oh, yeah, I, I love this quote. Go back to the last one. Sorry. I forgot about this. Um, I love what Prince says about responsibility. I didn't think I would be quoting Prince this morning, but hey, you know, when you're right, you're right. He says, uh, he says, uh, no one can come and claim ownership of my work. I am the creator of it, and it lives within me. And I love that idea of of just, and, and yes, that sounds very prideful. Um, I'll acknowledge that, right? But we just don't see that idea of people taking ownership or responsibility for things anymore. Um, so he's, he's kind of looking at that and saying, you know what, the things that I make, nobody else can take ownership of that because I'm the creator of that. Um, and, and obviously we, we realize that, that God's ultimately the creator. Um, but there's a responsibility I think that we should all carry. It's kind of like this. I don't know if you guys heard about the story up in Michigan uh, a few months back about the, uh, subway employee. Did you guys see this on the news? I don't really watch the news, but I happen to see this. So uh, somebody took a picture of a subway employee, and this is what they were doing. They were hanging out on their phone with their feet up on the grill, um, and it became um, kind of one of these uh, viral things that happened, and, and then obviously that person lost their job, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on about it. But just imagine for a second, right, that you go to an establishment, and you're getting ready to go order, and you're like, hey, um, can I talk to the manager about something? I got a question. And they're like, yeah, there he is. And you see this picture right here. Now, would you think that that, like, what, what would go through your mind if you saw that? Where's the exit? Where's the exit? <laughs> Where's Chick-fil-A? No. Um, yeah, put a plug in for them. Uh, right? Yeah, I mean, like, that just obviously doesn't look like somebody who's taken on that responsibility that, that really cares uh, and, and, and is, is taking on that responsibility, that ownership of what they have. Um, and so I think, I, I think there's this idea... <laughs> A lot of times that we expect other people to carry that worship out for us in our lives. We expect other people um, to do what God has called us to do for us, and then we just kind of reap the benefits of it. But we have to realize that we all have a part to play. We all have a role. Um, and, and another aspect of that is to realize that we have our part to play, and God has his part to play. And so I can't focus on what I think God should be doing in my life. I can only focus on what it is that God has called me to do in my life, right? And so we all have these uh, responsibilities, these places that God has called us to do. And this is in multiple places, right? This is in multiple places in our lives. Um, I think one of the, one of the okay, we've got to change that picture. That's, that's like wigging me out. <laughs> you know, I thought you were talking about the subway. The subway, yeah. The subway, and I'm like, why is that so bad? Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, subway restaurant. Let's, let's clarify. Yeah, sorry. That's, yeah. I kind of expected that at the subway. You know, I was waiting for the uh, footlong joke. The footlong. Oh. That's why you need a community, man. Somebody's got to, somebody sees things. That's funny. Um, hold on. Hold on. Get back to that. that one. Um, sorry, subway. That foot thing threw me off. Um, 
So as we as we think about as we think about that responsibility, though, we all we all have a role to play in that, right? And and as that relates to our lives, we all have responsibilities in our lives. Um, you know, one of the areas that I see this a lot is talking with married couples. And um, a lot of times, if you go into a to a marriage counseling session, um, there's some strife, there's some conflict, right? The first thing that's always thrown out is that other person's not doing what they need to do, right? It's never, hey, I'm going to take the responsibility, and I'm completely messed up, fouled up person, and I need to get my stuff together as the starting point. It's always that that person's not doing something, that they're not doing what they need to do, so that's why I'm not doing what I need to do. It's their fault. It's their fault. Um, and we have to realize that we all have to take on that ownership and that responsibility in our lives. Um, I think our culture around us, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but if you're part of the millennial culture, I know that you're probably the exception. But in general, there's an idea with the culture today that says, you know what, I'm entitled to all of this stuff. Uh, I deserve all of this stuff. The world owes me something just for me being in the world and, being bl- and blessing the world with my presence. Right. It's, it's not that I often talk with people. It's not my responsibility to do this, but it's, it's somebody else should do this for me. But there's an idea that that we have to start taking responsibility, even in the church, even in the church. We get focused on what other people in the church are supposed to do, don't we? Like, man, if that person would just get their stuff together, then I could do what I needed to do. Or a lot of times we look up to the, to the guy at the stage and we say, man, if, if it's, it's the pastor's responsibility to go out and to share the gospel with people. And it's the pastor's responsibility to go and see people who are sick and in the hospital. And it's the pastor's. And we've got to realize that we all have that responsibility to carry within the body of, of Christ and that we, that we care that, carry that. And so we all have a responsibility. Um, and we all have a responsibility to... Uh, to, to live out uh, who God has called us to be. And so, and so we need to think about this idea of ownership. So I want you guys to take 30 more seconds and, and answer this question together. Why is taking ownership such a challenge? Why is it so challenging for us to want to take ownership in things um, in our lives? All right, so what did, uh, would, you guys, would, y'all, would y'all come up with um, as far as what are some of the challenging, challenging things about taking ownership? Anybody got anything you want to share from their group? Admitting that you made a bad de- decision. That's really hard when you never make a bad decision, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Yeah, like we, we're really, really, really slow to admit that we did something wrong. Uh, personal example, we'll do this off the record. Um, now, last night I had said something to, to last, Nicole's not even here, so she can't even hear this. Um, but last night I had said something to Nicole that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, um, it wasn't very, it wasn't just a very nice thing to say. And this morning it just kind of hit me like, Hey, I need to say, I'm sorry about that. And, uh, that was really, really hard. It took me like five minutes just to get the words out. And I'm usually like pretty quick at, at saying, I'm sorry for stuff. That's usually not a big deal for me, but I was sitting in that this morning. And I was just like, oh, this is so awkward. Like I gotta, how do you just, you know, roll your tongue back in your mouth and tell somebody that you're wrong and that you're sorry. Um, and it's hard. Like, it's a hard thing. Church's going to go tell mom. He's, 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 he's disappointed. Dad said something mean. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. Right? Responsibility. Um, and so, and so as, we, as we've seen in the passage, you know, obviously... We need to reestablish worship, not just not just what we've seen the Israelites do, but in our own lives, right? So as we look at our lives and we say, um, I got these things that I've built my life up on, and they're not honoring to God. 
um, immediately we can, we, we can start worshiping God. We can immediately start to change, repent, and change direction and start focusing on God through his word, through repentance. We can immediately do that. And then realize that that process of taking ownership, that may take some time, right? It took them, they were, they were, it was over a year before they actually got started on the work in the temple. That may take some time. You know, when, when we've lived a long period of our time, of our, of our lives, focused in one direction, it does take some time. But immediately, we can reestablish that worship and then start the process of rebuilding um, our lives on the bedrock foundation of Jesus. And so you say, well, what is it going to require, though? <clears throat> right? And I think it's important we understand that these things are not just going to happen on their own. If we really want to see our lives live for Jesus and we start to give our lives away uh, to the things that he calls us to do, it's going to take some things on our part to make that happen. And I think the first and foremost, rebuilding is going to require intentional effort from each one of us. Um, you know, if we look at that, if we look at the first part of the story as they, um, as they started to uh, build the altar and then they started to offer sacrifices, it says that they were offering regular sacrifices um, according to what was written in the book of Moses, um, according to the word of God. Um, that took some intentional effort for them to do that. And it really took a lot of prioritizing in their life, didn't it? Um, it's, it's the idea that I'm going to have to make something more important than everything else. And I think a lot of times, like, we, we do a really bad job of that when it comes to our lives, right? Um, because typically, if we were to prioritize, we'll do a little interactive thing here, okay? So what should be the most important thing in our life? God. Okay. Jesus, okay? And then what should be under that? What should be next? Family. Okay, what should be after that? Church family? Okay, that sounds good to me. What should be after that? Trit? Uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay, good job. Yep, we don't want to forget that one. What else? Community. Community. Maybe our, our work, right? That should be a priority probably. Responsibilities. Friendships. Other things we have going on. All of that sort of stuff. And so we think of... We kind of think of what it looks like to prioritize Jesus as an org chart, right? So we have Jesus up here, and then we have all these other things that kind of come after that. But I would submit to you this morning that that's probably the wrong way of looking at that. Um, I think we should look at it more like, how can I prioritize Jesus in each one of those things that I have? Because what we like to do is we like to compartmentalize Jesus. And so what we'll do is we'll say, hey, I've now had my Jesus time. Check that off the list. Now the rest of the time I can focus on my other things. But I think the way that we should prioritize Jesus in our lives, and I think what the Word tells us that we should do as we think about Jesus, is in the, each one of those categories, we should run it through the filter and the lens of Jesus. And so as I look at my family, it's now not just, hey, I get this time with my family, but now I have an opportunity with my family to share the love of Jesus, to encourage them in their walk. As I look at, at my church, now it's not just this thing I go to, but now it's an opportunity to encourage and grow the people there. As I look at my workplace, it doesn't just become a place that I go to make money to provide for my family, but it becomes an opportunity to share Jesus with those around us. Um, and so I think prioritizing that uh, in our lives, Jesus in everything, right? That idea of Jesus in everything that we do is very, very important. Um, and so if we're going to see these changes take place, yes, it's going to take intentional effort. It's going to take sacrifice. That's the second part of this. It's going to take sacrifice, right? Um, in, verse, uh, in verse five, uh, I'm sorry, in verse six, it says 
they got to a point where they realized that they had, cre- they had built the altar, but they realized that the foundation of the temple was not yet laid. So what did they do? What does it say in verse 7 that they did? I got that. They gave money to the masons and the carpenters. Right. Food and drink and oil to the people to bring cedar logs from Lebanon. Right. So they identified that there was a need, and then they met that need. Right. That was a, and that was, and that was through sacrifice that they did that. They gave money in order to accomplish that. And this is just a picture. You know, if if we want to see God do these incredible things in our life, it's going to take some intentional effort, but it's also going to take some sacrifice. You know, if we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we're going to have to sacrifice some time, maybe some of the, some of our hobbies and the things that we enjoy doing. Um, we're going to have to sacrifice some of that to put into our relationship with Jesus. And just like we, we see in the story here is that they decided that, hey, this temple has not been built. And so they're going to give the money. They're going to sacrifice what that uh, what they have in order to accomplish um, this mission that they have been put upon. And um, I, think, I think for all of us, it's, it's that idea of prioritizing and then sacrificing. Um, and, you know, I, you hear a lot of times uh, from people, and I, and I think it comes from a very genuine place, but they say, um, you know, I really, I really don't have enough money to give to God and then also to meet my needs. Um, and I understand where people say that. Um, I guess the pushback on that is to understand, uh, and it's not just money. Some people, it's time. Some people, it's their, their talents. It's the things that they have going on. Um, but to realize that God has given us enough of all of those things to give to him, it just all becomes about how we want to use those things thereafter, right? God has given all of us enough resources to give to God, to help other people, enough time to spend to do the things that God's calling us to, to do. But it's how are we going to prioritize those things in our lives. Um, and so I would submit to you, if you want to see that your life starts to be rebuilt, to realize it's going to take some sacrifice on your part. It's not going to be easy. And I think in our, in our culture, in our world today, apathy is just killing our churches. Um, it, it really is. And apathy is just that mindset that, you know what, I'm going to come and kind of do this thing, but, but I'm going to give it very, very minimal effort. I'm just going to give it like the very basic. I'm going to show up but I really don't care about a whole lot that's happening. I'm just going to show up on a Sunday morning. I'm just going to kind of do this thing. And I want to encourage us this morning that we're willing to get back in the fight, um, that, we're re- that we're ready to stop talking about it, and we're really start ready to, to put into action some of those things that we need to do in our lives. So it's going to require a, a sacrifice. It's also going to require some leadership. Or some accountability in order for this to happen. And we look at what, they, what happened, right? They started to set up the leadership structure again. Um, it talks about like in verse 8 where Zerubbabel came in and, and Jeshua um, and, and some of these people. And they started to put leadership back in place in order to accomplish the work, right? And they needed some accountability. And I can, I can tell you for, from my life in those times that I needed to grow in areas, the time that's happened the best is when I've had somebody, a loving brother in my life that has been looking over my shoulder and encouraging me and pushing me toward the, the goal of Christ, pushing me toward growing in my faith. And I think that's important for all of us. Um, you know, we're, we're not created to do this alone. Um, and so we need to have that leadership um, and that sp- especially that spiritual leadership and that accountability in our lives. 
And so those are the three areas I think it's going to take if we really want to see our lives start to be rebuilt around uh, the bedrock foundation of Jesus. And so as we, as we kind of conclude, I want us to, to start thinking about um, start thinking about a few things, right? If we're going to start, so just like if we were talking about starting a building project, right? You got to start somewhere. You got to start with that first step of getting your hands dirty, right? And so for us, like, what is that first step in each one of our lives? I want us to start thinking about that this morning. Um, and so as we look at step number one of reestablishing worship, right? Maybe that means that today is the place that we just need to hit our knees and we just need to say, you know what, Jesus, I've been doing this my way. Um, and I've got a bunch of garbage that I've kind of set up, but today I'm making that, you know, we talked about last week kind of drawing that line, and so maybe maybe it's today of saying, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to turn from all of that, and I'm going to start worshiping you. I'm going to start refocusing my life on you. Maybe it's, maybe it's getting back to the authority of the Word of God in your life. Maybe you're going to make a commitment today that says, you know what, um, God's Word hasn't really been a priority in my life. It's just kind of been something that I've kind of squeezed in there when it's been convenient to me. But maybe today is going to be the day where you start to say, you know what, I need to make that an important part of my life. And so I'm going to prioritize that in my life. Um, maybe for some of us, it's, it's we just need to start trusting in God and what he's calling us to do. Um, but, but what is that area that you need to reestablish worship in your life? And then secondly, uh, what is that area that we need to take some ownership in our life, Right? Uh, am I taking responsibility or am I just kind of sitting there and blaming it on somebody else? Um, am I taking responsibility for my spiritual walk with Jesus or am I blaming that on somebody else? Well, if my kids would do what they needed to do, then I'd have time to do that. If my spouse would do what they needed to do, then I could do this, right? Um, maybe today we just need to start looking inwardly and starting taking ownership and realize that I'm responsible for my walk with Jesus. I'm responsible for the foundations that I build in my life. Okay. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to have our community question. And this is just a time in our, in our meeting together that we give about five minutes, um, for us to talk together in our groups, um, around a question or two, um, that kind of, that really relates with the application of the message from the word today. And so the question for today is this, what area in your life, um, your foundation in your life needs work? Right? Is there is there something that that through what we've been talking about today that you can identify and say, I need some work in that area of my life. And secondly, um, what is one intentional step? Right? What is what is one step that's going to require um, intentional work, sacrifice, and accountability um, that I can start to reestablish worship or take ownership in my life? Okay. And so, first question is, what do I need to work on? And second is. What is that first step that I need to take in order to make that happen? Okay, so we're going to take uh, maybe about five minutes to discuss that, and then we'll come back together and wrap up.